We begin in Genesis chapter 4 tonight. Let me give you just a prelude to that, and then we'll read the first seven verses. We were talking about last week the, the human tragedy. We're talking about the chess game that was going on between uh, Lucifer and God. Uh, actually, Lucifer becoming Satan and then between Satan and God and trying to to disrupt the plan of, of redemption for mankind. We talked about how that taken place in various ages um, as time has gone by from leading Adam and Eve astray all the way through trying to kill potential messiahs and all those things. And when we come to Genesis 4, we realize some of the deep impact of the behaviors that had taken place. We talked about the fact last week that, you know, God will forgive sin. God, when we repent, he is very willing. The Bible says if we confess our sins to him, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What was unleashed there was the contagion of sin that became part and parcel of the human nature. Not only did we recognize what sin was, Adam and Eve suddenly realized they were, they were not clothed, all these kinds of things, but something entered them when they died spiritually. Instead of having the, the natural righteousness and the holiness of God, they had the sin nature. When their kids were born, they were born with a sin nature. Adam and Eve had tried to cover their own nakedness. When they realized that they were that they were naked, they went, they got fig leaves, and they began to put those together to try to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame, to hide what had happened from the omniscient God. And obviously, um, it was a very futile effort and something that was very foolish because Immediately, right off the bat, the first sin that came into the world, man began to try to create his own path to redemption, trying to mend the relationship with God with whatever he could think of to cover up what they perceived as sin at that time. Well, one of the lessons that we've learned from this is that um, our children learn our ways whether we intend for them to or not. Because the first thing that happens... Cain and Abel, they grow up. Cain is the older brother. He grows up. Uh, Cain grows up to be a person who works the gardens and the fruit trees and all these kinds of things. And then you have Abel, who is a herdsman. So they come to a place where they offer up sacrifices. And we see that Cain had taken on this sinful behavior because he tries to create his own path to the Lord. Now, the Lord had illustrated very clearly that blood had to be shed, either the blood of the sinner or a, a sacrifice in behalf of the sinner. Blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. And yet we see Cain, when he comes before the Lord later on, he brings an offering of fruits and vegetables and the produce from his garden. And they knew, God had given them the illustration, the Bible says God went out he killed an animal, he skinned it, and he clothed them with that and showed them that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. But here you have Cain, who has a very twisted uh, personality, a very um, evasive personality, because when he gets caught, he begins to make excuses to God 
uh, when, when, he, when he commits the sin of not bringing the proper sacrifice and then when he commits the sin of murdering his brother, you see excuses coming out of where he's pointing the blame everywhere else that because his self-made religion, his self-styled path to God was not acceptable. We find ourselves in a time right now where everybody is trying to create their own self-styled relationship. Well, my Jesus is not like that. My Jesus, you know, everybody has their own path, their ways. Well, there's many ways to God. If you're a Muslim, if you're a Krishna, if you're a Hindu, you're a Buddhist, you know, it's all the same. Don't worry about it. They're all paths to God. We hear these things coming out of uh, the pastor's mouths of mega churches today. Um, and people are following this very simple, very destructive pattern. It started with Adam and Eve, then went to Cain, and then came on down to us. This is uh, the, the slaying of the animal by God was a foreshadowing. It was a type of what was going to happen 4,000 years later when he sent his son, the Lamb of God, and he was slain. He shed his blood for the remission of sin. So let's open up in Genesis 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, Eve became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of its crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. Look at verse 5. But he did not accept Cain, and he did not accept Cain's gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Let's pause right there before we read the rest of that. Here is something about the, the sin nature that we all deal with. And here is something that is very prevalent in our day. I can't be guilty. I'm not evil. I'm good. There is a mistake. Somebody else caused uh, me to be thought about in this light. This is not, you know, this is not my fault. When God himself addresses Cain and says, your offering is not acceptable and your approach to come to have relationship with me is not acceptable. Cain was taking very lightly the offense of what sin is to God. He grossly underestimated the difference between sinful man and God. He completely misunderstood the holiness of God and was graciously not slain in that very moment as God was having that conversation. Look at verse 6. God says, why are you angry? So God has justly disciplined him. God has justly rebuked him. He's called him on the carpet because Cain knew that he was supposed to bring a blood sacrifice. Okay? And instead of saying, oh Lord, I'm sorry, I... You know, I didn't want to do it, or it took much time, or whatever the issue was, he should have repented there. But instead, he's excusing himself to God, and he becomes angry at his maker, at his creator. And he said to him, why do you look so 
dejected. So skip forward to the New Testament where the Bible tells us that God disciplines all those that he loves, all those that he considers to be his children. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if we are not disciplined, if we are not corrected, then we are illegitimate children. We are not really the children of God. And so there, there was a, a, the cause for his ire, his anger to be raised against the very one that he was trying to appease with his offering. There was a reluctance to accept his own sinfulness. There was a reluctance to accept the way that God said, you must come to me. We find the same thing here in the 21st century. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to me except, uh, no man comes to the Father except through me. We have every kind of religion, including Christianity, who are trying to do the very same thing that Cain did. There's many ways. I, this is my personality. This is the way I express myself. Just to, This is just the way I was born. And so I bring this to God, and God says, no, the gate is narrow. The road, the path is very narrow. You must walk that path. And so here you have man trying to argue with God about redemption. He gets angry with God because he thinks God is being unjust and yet it is man that has sinned against God. God is the standard. God is the one to whom we need to give an account, not the other way around. He says in verse 7, you will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So here we have a guy who is trying to fool God into acquiescing to man's idea of how to atone for sin. We have a lot of people in, in churches around the world who live grossly immoral lives. Uh, approximately, I think it's 45% of people in mainline denominational churches are just shacking up. They're not married. And yet they come and they worship and they tithe and they pray and they sing and they raise their hands. What are they doing? They are offering their vegetables to God. I will give you the acknowledgement of who you are, but... I am going to live my life. I'm going to have the style of living that I desire. And you will accept me because my Jesus would not send anyone to hell. So you see this, this attitude has become pervasive, even to the point now where you're having uh, openly uh, practicing homosexuals who are being ordained into ministry and are pastoring churches. This is becoming so passe that people are not even seemingly fighting against this in the broader scope. We just had uh, the Methodist uh, denomination, the largest denomination on planet Earth, split down the middle because half of them said, we approve of gay and lesbian relationships and marriage, and we are going to put our blessing on that, and we're going to ordain that. And just last month, the big rift, the big split came where half the church said, no, that's that's not Bible. We can't deal with it. And they said, fine, we'll, we're just going to rip down the middle. 
And so you have people coming up with all kinds of ideas. Remember we talked about Chrislam that some pastors are pushing, saying we serve the same God, it's just a little bit different path. No, the Bible says he who denies the Son has neither the Son nor the Father. In the Quran, it says, God has no son, and he who says so is a blasphemer. Now, we've got pastors who are telling people that we're one and the same. It's just an approach. We've got Cain in the pulpit teaching the people how to rebel against the Spirit of God. That is the moment in which we find ourselves. So both Cain and Abel they understood what God required. God would not have judged him. God would not have rebuked him if he had no idea how he was supposed to come to, to the Lord. He did. The whole family knew. They knew about Adam and Eve's sin. They knew about Lucifer. They knew about the serpent. They knew about the, the shedding of the blood. God had taught them. Abel knew what he was supposed to do, and he came. He made the sacrifice of the first fruit, which is a, a type, a symbol of tithe, that he took the best, he took the first, and he gave that to the Lord before he enjoyed of the fruit of his own labor. God is our Redeemer. Salvation and damnation are in his hands according to his rules. We as mankind have tried to redefine and are continuing to try to redefine that and tell the Lord, I will come on my rules. We have gotten to a place in our society where everything that you want, you can have it when you want, how you want, what you want it like, our commercials tell you, you self-style this thing, options that you want, you don't want, all these things, it's custom designed that you get exactly what you want. And a lot of people go to God and they try to impose that on him. They project their image uh, of a God that is created in their image. And they say, that, that's, that's the God that I serve. Well, you serve an idol and you are going to hell. The Lord is the only one who can say, this is how you get into heaven. And this is who gets into heaven. It's under his authority. We don't get to make the rules. We don't get to rearrange um, the priorities of what God has had. This is something that we're fighting with the younger generation. You and I in this room, we grew up with this thinking and it makes perfect sense to us, but a generation that have been indoctrinated, that have been brainwashed with all of the craziness that is out there are now being told you can live however you want, you can do whatever you want. All you have to do is believe that the big guy is up there and you're good to go. Everybody self-styles the way that they want. I like this option, but I don't like that. I don't like that Old Testament God. He's kind of scary, but this Jesus who's just love, I'll, I'll take that. And they make excuses. The Bible says that in the last days, deception is going to be the key sign that I'm about to come back. And boy, are we sure seeing that today. Um, let's talk about a little bit more about the self-styled religion because this is something we need to help the younger generation with. I, I have talked a number of times with different people who call themselves Christians who are shacking up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend and they are wanting to get, actually get involved in ministry. 
And I said, you are living in adultery. You are living in fornication. You are on your way to hell. Well, I just don't receive that because I love the Lord and I know that he loves me and we, you know, we, no. You are creating your own God in your own mind. And this person is asking me, how do I get involved in the ministry? How do I get trained? Like, you're on your way to hell. Don't talk to me about anything until you fall on your knees and you repent and you repent to the person that you have given this understanding of Christianity to because you're damning their soul to hell as well. But this is very common thinking. And when you talk about fornication, you talk about adultery, people just, it's like a, a, a mule staring at a new gate. They don't get it. You know, we love each other. We're, we're married in the eyes of God. No, you're not. My sentiments exactly. <laughs> Um, Cain tried to make his own path. We've got all kinds of people all around us who are trying to make their own path. Well, I'm a good person. Really, Jesus said that we're evil. He said, you being evil, know how to get good, good gifts unto your children. How much more shall the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, we are trying to redefine. We are trying to, you know, even when we go to the mirror, we don't really want to see What's there? We have those mirrors that make you look slimmer, that make you look taller, you know, all those things. We can, we can Photoshop our image that we put on the Internet, and people walk in for the interview. They're like, where's the guy on the Internet? Uh, <laughs> that's me, you know. Oh, okay. We try to do that in our minds that I'm right with God. I'm pure. I'm holy. I'm good. But human beings are basically good. No, the Bible says we are evil to the core. There is nothing good inside of us that is in our sinful nature. The only thing good that resides in us is Jesus Christ. When we fall at his knees and we ask him to come in, that's the only goodness that is there. And we get into heaven because God, when he looks at a born-again believer, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He's not looking at us who are making a God in our own image. So since since... Um, Cain, much much of mankind has tried to create create their own paths. You know, you watch, you see people like Oprah, you see people like the Hillsong pastors, and all these other um, elevation worship, uh, Bethel. They're all projecting, and a God that is not the God of the Bible. And people who do not read their Bibles are sucking it in. They're drinking it. They're swallowing it. Hook, line, and sinker. Pastor said it. That's the way it has to be. The Bible says that people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And he's talking about a lack of biblical knowledge. If we don't read this, if we don't study this, we don't know the path. We don't know the character of whom we are serving. We do not know the attributes that are there unless we are studying the word of God and asking him for wisdom and revelation. So we have this whole thing now of my Jesus, but there is no my Jesus. It's the Jesus of the Bible. And we cannot reshape, remold, or refashion him to be what we want him to be. Because the closer you get to the Lord, let me tell you, the rub is going to get worse and worse because it's like you're walking toward a, a lighthouse 
you know, and you know that, that light that shines for miles and miles and miles, and the closer you get to it, the more blinding, the more overpowering it is. That is how it is with us when we grow closer to the Lord. We start seeing things that we not we did used to didn't think anything about. Now they seem like a, a huge issue to us. Why? Because we're standing in the light of God's holiness. And as you grow in the Lord, you mature in the Lord, that is what happens. You become more and more aware of your sinful nature and the sin that is prevalent across uh, humanity. And we, we cry out, God, help me to be more holy. Take this out of me. Get rid of this. Whereas the common uh, response is that we reshape God. We put a lens on him. I think God is purple, so we flip up the purple lens. I think God is this, so we change the shape. You see what I'm saying? That's our culture, and that's the culture of the world today. Um, one modern example that is very easy to give is, is people who call themselves Christians and followers of Christ, but they don't go to church. There's a lot of people that I've talked to, well, I serve God in my own way. You know, I just don't believe in organized religion. Well, I'm sorry, but you haven't read the Bible. They want God to love them and accept them on their rules, their basis, their understanding of what a relationship with God should be like. Um, my Bible tells me that literally, and I think it's Second Peter, live as God's slaves. That are the exact words. Live as God's slaves. Paul said, I die daily. I beat my flesh into subjection. So there's, there's two different Christianities. There's two different Christs that are out there. And the broad road says, my Jesus is like this, this, and this. The narrow road says, the Jesus is between these two pages, and we cannot change him. And so you have a lot of people who say, you know, I, I worship God by myself. I worship him in my own way. I really don't need a formal church to do that. And I have to say to people, your church attendance is not about you. If that is your worldview, that I serve Christ in my own way, you don't know Christ because your church attendance is not about you. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our day off. It's not about our fishing trip. It's not about our hunting trip, any of those things. Now, there's nothing wrong with going out and using a weekend to do that once in a while. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about people that I run into who just don't. They're not a part of any church. They just don't go. They say, I worship God. You know, I watch something on the internet. Well, that is an extremely selfish view of the world. Remember Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25? They said, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is nearing. If, if we live our Christian lives independently of the church, 
whom Jesus said is the bride of Christ, who Jesus said is the body of Christ, if we are that kind of person who says, I don't need a church to live out my Christian faith, then how do you follow scriptural admonitions like build one another up? If you're not with other Christians, how can you build them up? If you're not with other Christians, how can you admonish them? Straighten up, move forward, keep, you'll get that out of your life. How can you correct somebody who's drifting away? The Bible says if someone is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual restore such a one watching yourself because you're also susceptible to that same stuff. If we're not living with the body of Christ, if we're not attending church, we're not building relationships, how do we know if someone is slipping? If we're not in relationship with them, and it's not out of judgment at all. It is out of a desperate heart to rescue them before they go down that road too far. How do we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another if we're not meeting together? How, how do we mentor other believers if we're not meeting with other believers? How do we express our spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are not for us. Spiritual gifts are for the body. We can't express those if we are not gathering with the body. How do we pay tithes or give offerings or support missionaries and create a network that that can happen through? How do we have koinonia, which is spiritual fellowship? We, we can't. Again, I, I know that I'm the crowd that I'm giving that to. That's the mentality. That's the thinking that you have. But so many people that we are surrounded with people that you never would have thought a Christian ever. They consider themselves to be a follower of Christ. They don't go to church. They don't fellowship with the body. They don't deny themselves of sinful appetites, but they consider themselves to be a Christian. What are they doing? They are offering vegetables to a God who says there must be a blood sacrifice to appease me. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to stand before God and say, but Lord, I believed in who you were. God, I knew how Christmas and Easter, I always took my kids to church. And God is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. We are in a day, and it's only going to get worse, where everybody's self-styling their path to God. And you will receive flack when you start confronting people on that. Judge not lest you be judged. Well, first of all, I'm not getting off on that discussion tonight. That's It's the most stupid, flagrant misinterpretation of Scripture. <sighs> Calm down, Dora. Okay. So in these early events, God set down a law that to cover sin, death had to happen. The shedding of blood had to take place. Loss of life had to take place. There either had to be the death of a sinner or a substitute for the sinner. God laid that down in the Garden of Eden. In Hebrews 9.22, we're told without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The Bible says that unless a kernel of wheat dies, it cannot bring life. That's us. We have to die to self 
to our own method of living, to our own private mentality of this is my path to God and you have your truth and I have my truth. You do you, I'll do me. That's, that's exactly what Cain took before the Lord. And there are people who will swear up and down that they are Christians. But when you look at their life, see, it's not what's coming out of their mouth. The Lord said you will know them by their fruits. What comes out of their lives, how they live, how they walk, talk, think, act, behave, how they handle the relationships, how they handle their obligations. He said, you'll be able to tell them. And we got a lot of politicians that are out there saying, oh, I'm a good this, I'm a good that. And oh, yes, we pray. No. The, the term Christianity, if they really knew what it was, they wouldn't even want it because it was actually an epithet. It was an insult when it was first employed. It wasn't created by believers. It was created by the pagan society around them. They said, you're a Christian, which means little Christ. You act just like him, and I can't stand you. And after a while, the believers said, I can accept that. I can accept that because he said, follow me, be like me, walk in me, live in me. In him we live and move and have our, have our being. That's where that term came from. It was an insult. It wasn't a, it wasn't a political maneuver to be, to be well-liked. It was then, if you were a Christian, it was a death sentence. So from Adam and Cain on, God points forward to the cross because God had made it clear that the Savior who had been promised would come and die and suffer. Isaiah brings this out beautifully in, in chapter 53 um, about the fact that the Messiah had to suffer, had to die, had to shed his blood. Um, every animal sacrifice that you read in the Old Testament was a prophetic event pointing forward. It was a type, it was a symbol, it was a proclamation. This is going to happen for real one day. We're killing animals right now, but if they read Isaiah's writings, they would understand at some point, Messiah is going to be killed. And Messiah could not simply be a human being because as you read through that chapter, it says he was bruised for our iniquities. The Lord laid our transgressions, our sins upon him. How can a human being do that? None of us are righteous. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So how could there be a human that could make the atoning sacrifice and then see his descendants speaking of the resurrection? Isaiah was telling them the God-man is coming. The sacrifice was human. The blood was human, but it was God Almighty clothed in that flesh who paid 
for our sins. The gospel is being so watered down. It is, it is unrecognizable what is being preached in many pulpits today. And I want to encourage you guys. People around you who consider themselves to be Christians need to hear the truth. They need to hear what is in here. They don't need to hear your best life now. They don't need to hear 12 ways to be a better businessman. They don't need life lessons. They need the truth. Because the Bible says the truth will make you free. Free of what? The death sentence. It opens the bars. You and I have the opportunity. Remember John? He came as a voice in the wilderness in the spirit of Elijah, preparing the way for the first coming of Jesus Christ. You and I live in the last generation. We come in the spirit of Elijah. We come in the spirit of John the Baptist. And we are announcing the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if you look at him and how stark of a contrast there was between his character and his lifestyle and the ones that were in the world, even those who were religious, those who were Jews, those who were priests, there was a stark contrast. You and I have the responsibility of standing out. You ever been in a pitch black room and you could see just a little pinprick? No matter where you go in that room, you can see that light because light overpowers darkness. That's you and I. And God has scattered us in the darkness. And we need to help people to realize there is one way there is one truth and there is one life. And it doesn't matter what your pastor tells you. If it's not in these pages, do not believe it. Vote with your feet. Brush this, the dust off of your shoes. Go down the street and find somebody who will preach the truth. But find somebody and gather with the body of Christ and be an influencer. Every animal sacrifice um, pointed to to the Lord Jesus. And in John 1.29, John is there baptizing people, the baptism of repentance. And he looks up and he sees his cousin, Jesus. Verse 29 of John 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It goes on there talking about the fact that Jesus has been around before John. That screamed Isaiah chapter 53. I mean, bells should have been going off in people's minds. They should have said, oh my goodness, that's Messiah. But they didn't get it because they were busy creating their own path to God with all the rules and the regulations and the ceremonies and the rituals. They had the system down. They were so good at doing all of their own path stuff. They not only did not recognize the one that God sent. But they ended up murdering. The only way, the only truth. 
and the only one. I imagine those guys are pretty miserable today. As they burn in the flames, recanting all of the things that they said against the Lord, remembering all the things that they memorized in their bar mitzvah. They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible by the time they were 12 to be bar mitzvah. But they, they made it into fairy tales and parables and allegory instead of understanding God says what he means and he means what he says. And they so fell in love with their own path that when God, the God of the universe, clothed himself with flesh and stood toe-to-toe with him, they had no clue. So not only does it not get you there, it blinds you. And that is what is happening to our generation. That's how people can come into church. Now, I want people who are ranked sinners to come into the church. But I don't want them to walk out ranked sinners. I want them to hear truth and repent before the Lord and make it right. But people who can come week after week who are living in open sin and refuse to believe that God says what he means and he means what he says. That's deception. Let me close with this. Cain and Abel represent the attitudes of two different kinds of people alive today. One group sees no need for a savior. They're they're good. I'm a good person. They feel sufficient in their own goodness. And so they bring God their vegetables. This is good enough. I know. I understand. I judge this vegetable offering. This is this is good enough. Then you have the other group who recognize that their sinfulness is a stench before the eyes of God and that they have to find a way to be freed from it. They accept the sacrifice that God has provided for their sin and they trust in him and they're saved. Let's help people to understand there's only one Christianity. There's only one Jesus. There's only one way to heaven. Sometimes it will be uncomfortable to have very straight, very blunt conversations with people. I stood almost nose to nose with a guy several months ago. And he was making all these excuses and telling me this is why God would accept him. And I literally got right here, five inches from his face. And I started quoting scripture to him, quoting scripture to him, quoting scripture to him. I said, here you are telling me you're wanting to go into ministry. And if you die today, you're going to be in hell. And your blood is not going to be on my hands because I'm telling you the truth. And that person just walked away happy that they have their path to their Jesus. We all know people like that. Let's do what we can to try by the power of the Holy Spirit to awaken them. Because guys, we are getting so close, so close to the catching away of the bride and the tribulation period. 
Let's pray. Father, we ask you tonight to give us divine appointments. There are people in our lives or there are people that we come across, Lord, who believe themselves to be in relationship with you. Lord, we all sin. We're all sinners. If that wasn't true, then why did you die? Why were you crucified? We're not saying we're any better than them. But Lord, we've accepted what you've done for us and we are striving hard to pursue you and to live for you. Please help us to awaken other people from this deception before it's too late and they're left behind, Lord God, to face a world that to face a world, Lord God, that it's going to burn down. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin in Genesis chapter 4 tonight. Let me give you just a prelude to that, and then we'll read the first seven verses. We were talking about last week the, the human tragedy. We're talking about the chess game that was going on between uh, Lucifer and God. Uh, actually Lucifer becoming Satan and then between Satan and God and trying to to disrupt the plan of of redemption for mankind we talked about how that taken place in various ages um, as time has gone by from leading Adam and Eve astray all the way through trying to kill potential messiahs and all those things and when we come to Genesis 4 we realize some of the deep impact of the behaviors that had taken place. We talked about the fact last week that, you know, God will forgive sin. God, when we repent, He is very willing. The Bible says if we confess our sins to Him, 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What was unleashed there was the contagion of sin that became part and parcel of the human nature. Not only did we recognize what sin was, Adam and Eve suddenly realized they were, they were not clothed, all these kinds of things, but something entered them when they died spiritually. Instead of having the, the natural righteousness and the holiness of God, they had the sin nature. When their kids were born, they were born with a sin nature. Adam and Eve had tried to cover their own nakedness. When they realized that they were that they were naked, they went, they got fig leaves, and they began to put those together to try to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame, to hide what had happened from the omniscient God. And obviously, um, it was a very futile effort and something that was very foolish because Immediately, right off the bat, the first sin that came into the world, man began to try to create his own path to redemption, trying to mend the relationship with God with whatever he could think of to cover up what they perceived as sin at that time. Well, one of the lessons that we've learned from this is that um, our children learn our ways whether we intend for them to or not. Because the first thing that happens Cain and Abel, they grow up. Cain is the older brother. He grows up. Uh, Cain grows up to be a person who works the gardens and the fruit trees and all these kinds of things. And then you have Abel, who is a herdsman, 
So they come to a place where they offer up sacrifices and we see that Cain had taken on this sinful behavior because he tries to create his own path to the Lord. Now, the Lord had illustrated very clearly that blood had to be shed, either the blood of the sinner or a, a sacrifice in behalf of the sinner. Blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. And yet we see Cain, when he comes before the Lord later on, he brings an offering of fruits and vegetables and the produce from his garden. And they knew, God had given them the illustration. The Bible says God went out, he killed an animal, he skinned it, and he clothed them with that and showed them that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. But here you have Cain who has a very twisted uh, personality, a very um, evasive personality because when he gets caught, he begins to make excuses to God uh, when, when, he, when he commits the sin of not bringing the proper sacrifice and then when he commits the sin of murdering his brother, you see excuses coming out of where he's pointing the blame everywhere else that because his self-made religion, his self-styled path to God was not acceptable. We find ourselves in a time right now where everybody is trying to create their own self-styled relationship. Well, my Jesus is not like that. My Jesus, you know, everybody has their own path, their ways. Well, there's many ways to God. If you're a Muslim, if you're a Krishna, if you're a Hindu, you're a Buddhist, you know, it's all the same. Don't worry about it. They're all paths to God. We hear these things coming out of uh, the pastor's mouths of mega churches today. Um, and people are following this very simple, very destructive pattern. It started with Adam and Eve, then went to Cain, and then came on down to us. This is uh, the, the slaying of the animal by God was a foreshadowing. It was a type of what was going to happen 4,000 years later when he sent his son, the Lamb of God, and he was slain. He shed his blood for the remission of sin. So let's open up in Genesis 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, Eve became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of its crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. Look at verse 5. But he did not accept Cain, and he did not accept Cain's gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Let's pause right there before we read the rest of that. Here is something about the, the sin nature that we all deal with. And here is something that is very prevalent in our day. I can't be guilty. I'm not evil. I'm good. There is a mistake. Somebody else caused uh, me to be thought about in this light. This is not, you know, this is not my fault. When God himself addresses Cain and says, your offering is not acceptable and your approach to come to have relationship with me is not acceptable. 
Cain was taking very lightly the offense of what sin is to God. He grossly underestimated the difference between sinful man and God. He completely misunderstood the holiness of God and was graciously not slain in that very moment as God was having that conversation. Look at verse 6. God says, why are you angry? So God has justly disciplined him. God has justly rebuked him. He's called him on the carpet because Cain knew that he was supposed to bring a blood sacrifice, okay? And instead of saying, oh Lord, I'm sorry, I, you know, I didn't want to do it or it took much time or whatever the issue was, he should have repented there. But instead he's excusing himself to God and he becomes angry at his maker, at his creator. And he said to him, why do you look so dejected? So skip forward to the New Testament where the Bible tells us that God disciplines all those that he loves, all those that he considers to be his children. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if we are not disciplined, if we are not corrected, then we are illegitimate children. We are not really the children of God. And so there, there was a, a, the cause for his ire, his anger to be raised against the very one that he was trying to appease with his offering. There was a reluctance to accept his own sinfulness. There was a reluctance to accept the way that God said, you must come to me. We find the same thing here in the 21st century. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to me except, uh, no man comes to the Father except through me. We have every kind of religion, including Christianity, who are trying to do the very same thing that Cain did. There's many ways. I, this is my personality. This is the way I express myself. Just to, this is just the way I was born. And so I bring this to God, and God says, no, the gate is narrow. The road, the path is very narrow. You must walk that path. And so here you have man trying to argue with God about redemption. He gets angry with God because he thinks God is being unjust and yet it is man that has sinned against God. God is the standard. God is the one to whom we need to give an account, not the other way around. He says in verse 7, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So here we have a guy who is trying to fool God into acquiescing to man's idea of how to atone for sin. We have a lot of people in, in churches around the world who live grossly immoral lives. Approximately, I think it's 45% of people in mainline denominational churches are just shacking up. They're not married. And yet they come and they worship and they tithe and they pray and they sing and they raise their hands 
What are they doing? They are offering their vegetables to God. I will give you the acknowledgement of who you are, but I am going to live my life. I'm going to have the style of living that I desire, and you will accept me because my Jesus would not send anyone to hell. So you see this, this attitude has become pervasive, even to the point now where you're having uh, openly uh, practicing homosexuals who are being ordained into ministry and are pastoring churches. This is becoming so passe that people are not even seemingly fighting against this in the broader scope. We just had uh, the Methodist uh, denomination, the largest denomination on planet Earth, split down the middle because half of them said, we approve of gay and, and lesbian relationships and marriage, and we are going to put our blessing on that, and we're going to ordain that. And just last month, the big rift, the big split came where half the church said, no, that's that's not Bible. We can't deal with it. And they said, fine, we'll, we're just going to rip down the middle. And so you have people coming up with all kinds of ideas. Remember we talked about Chrislam that some pastors are pushing, saying we serve the same God, it's just a little bit different path. No, the Bible says he who denies the Son has neither the Son nor the Father. In the Quran, it says God has no Son, and he who says so is a blasphemer. Now we've got pastors who are telling people that we're one and the same. It's just an approach. We've got Cain in the pulpit teaching the people how to rebel against the Spirit of God. That is the moment in which we find ourselves. So both Cain and Abel, they understood what God required. God would not have judged him. God would not have rebuked him if he had no idea how he was supposed to come to him. To the Lord. He did. The whole family knew. They knew about Adam and Eve's sin. They knew about Lucifer. They knew about the serpent. They knew about the, the shedding of the blood. God had taught them. Abel knew what he was supposed to do, and he came. He made the sacrifice of the first fruit, which is a, a type, a symbol of tithe, that he took the best, he took the first, and he gave that to the Lord before he enjoyed of the fruit of his own labor. God is our Redeemer. Salvation and damnation are in His hands according to His rules. We as mankind have tried to redefine and are continuing to try to redefine that and tell the Lord, I will come on my rules. We have gotten to a place in our society where everything that you want, you can have it when you want, how you want, what you want it like, our commercials tell you, you self-style this thing, options that you want, you don't want, all these things, it's custom designed that you get exactly what you want. And a lot of people go to God and they try to impose that on Him. They project their image uh, of a God that is created in their image and they say, that, that's, that's the God that I serve. Well, you serve an idol and you're going to hell. The Lord is the only one who can say, this is how you get into heaven, and this is who gets into heaven. It's under his authority. We don't get to make the rules. We don't get to rearrange um, the priorities of what God has had. This is something that we're fighting with the younger generation. You and I in this room, we grew up with this thinking 
and it makes perfect sense to us, but a generation that have been indoctrinated, that have been brainwashed with all of the craziness that is out there are now being told you can live however you want, you can do whatever you want. All you have to do is believe that the big guy is up there and you're good to go. Everybody self-styles the way that they want. I like this option, but I don't like that. I don't like that Old Testament God. He's kind of scary, but this Jesus who's just love, I'll, I'll take that. And they make excuses. The Bible says that in the last days, deception is going to be the key sign that I'm about to come back. And boy, are we sure seeing that today. Um, let's talk about a little bit more about the self-styled religion because this is something we need to help the younger generation with. I, I have talked a number of times with different people who call themselves Christians who are shacking up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend and they are wanting to get, actually get involved in ministry. And I said, you are living in adultery. You are living in fornication. You are on your way to hell. Well, I just don't receive that because I love the Lord and I know that he loves me and we, you know, we, no. You are creating your own God in your own mind. And this person is asking me, how do I get involved in the ministry? How do I get trained? Like, you're on your way to hell. Don't talk to me about anything until you fall on your knees and you repent. And you repent to the person that you have given this understanding of Christianity to because you're damning their soul to hell as well. But this is very common thinking. And when you talk about fornication, you talk about adultery, people just, it's like a, a, a mule staring at a new gate. They don't get it. You know, we love each other. We're, we're married in the eyes of God. No, you're not. My sentiments exactly. <laughs> um, Cain tried to make his own path. We've got all kinds of people all around us who are trying to make their own path. Well, I'm a good person. Really, Jesus said that we're evil. He said, you being evil, know how to get good, good gifts out of your children. How much more shall the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, we are trying to redefine. We are trying to, you know, even when we go to the mirror, we don't really want to see what's there. We have those mirrors that make you look slimmer, that make you look taller, you know, all those things. We can, we can Photoshop our image that we put on the Internet, and people walk in for the interview, and they're like, where's the guy on the Internet? Uh, <laughs> that's me, you know. Oh, okay. We try to do that in our minds that I'm right with God. I'm pure. I'm holy. I'm good. Human beings are basically good. No, the Bible says we are evil to the core. There is nothing good inside of us that is in our sinful nature. The only thing good that resides in us is Jesus Christ. When we fall at his knees and we ask him to come in, that's the only goodness that is there. And we get into heaven because God, when he looks at a born-again believer, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He's not looking at us who are making a God in our own image. So since, since um, Cain, much, much of mankind has tried to create, create their own paths. You know, you watch, you see people like Oprah, you see people like the Hillsong pastors and all these other um, elevation worship, uh, Bethel, they're all projecting 
and a God that is not the God of the Bible. And people who do not read their Bibles are sucking it in. They're drinking it. They're swallowing it. Hook, line, and singer. Pastor said it. That's the way it has to be. The Bible says that people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And he's talking about a lack of biblical knowledge. If we don't read this, if we don't study this, we don't know the path. We don't know the character of whom we are serving. We do not know the attributes that are there unless we are studying the word of God and asking him for wisdom and revelation. So we have this whole thing now of my Jesus, but there is no my Jesus. It's the Jesus of the Bible. And we cannot reshape, remold, or refashion him to be what we want him to be. Because the closer you get to the Lord, let me tell you, the rub is going to get worse and worse because it's like you're walking toward a, a lighthouse, you know, and you know that, that light that shines for miles and miles and miles. And the closer you get to it, the more blinding, the more overpowering it is. That is how it is with us when we grow closer to the Lord. We start seeing things that we not we did used to didn't think anything about. Now they seem like a, a huge issue to us. Why? Because we're standing in the light of God's holiness. And as you grow in the Lord, you mature in the Lord, that is what happens. You become more and more aware of your sinful nature and the sin that is prevalent across uh, humanity. And we, we cry out, God, help me to be more holy. Take this out of me. Get rid of this. Whereas the common uh, response is that we reshape God. We put a lens on him. I think God is purple, so we flip up the purple lens. I think God is this, so we change the shape. You see what I'm saying? That's our culture, and that's the culture of the world today. Um, one modern example that is very easy to give is, is people who call themselves Christians and followers of Christ, but they don't go to church. There's a lot of people that I've talked to, well, I serve God in my own way. You know, I just don't believe in organized religion. Well, I'm sorry, but you haven't read the Bible. They want God to love them and accept them on their rules, their basis, their understanding of what a relationship with God should be like. Um, my Bible tells me that literally, and I think it's Second Peter, live as God's slaves. That are the exact words. Live as God's slaves. Paul said, I die daily. I beat my flesh into subjection. So there's, there's two different Christianities. There's two different Christs that are out there. And the broad road says, my Jesus is like this, this, and this. The narrow road says, the Jesus is between these two pages, and we cannot change him. And so you have a lot of people who say, you know, I, I worship God by myself. I worship him in my own way. I really don't need a formal church to do that. And I have to say to people, your church attendance is not about you. 
if that is your worldview, that I serve Christ in my own way, you don't know Christ because your church attendance is not about you. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our day off. It's not about our fishing trip. It's not about our hunting trip, any of those things. Now, there's nothing wrong with going out and using a weekend to do that once in a while. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about people that I run into who just don't, they're not a part of any church. They just don't go. They say, I worship God. You know, I've watched something on the internet. Well, that is an extremely selfish view of the world. Remember Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25, they said, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is nearing. If, if we live our Christian lives independently of the church, whom Jesus said is the bride of Christ, who Jesus said is the body of Christ, if we are that kind of person who says, I don't need a church to live out my Christian faith, then how do you follow scriptural admonitions like build one another up? If you're not with other Christians, how can you build them up? If you're not with other Christians, how can you admonish them? Straighten up, move forward, keep, you'll get that out of your life. How can you correct somebody who's drifting away? The Bible says if someone is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual restore such a one watching yourself because you're also susceptible to that same stuff. If we're not living with the body of Christ, if we're not attending church, we're not building relationships, how do we know if someone is slipping? If we're not in relationship with them, and it's not out of judgment at all. It is out of a desperate heart to rescue them before they go down that road too far. How do we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another if we're not meeting together? How, how do we mentor other believers if we're not meeting with other believers? How do we express our spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are not for us. Spiritual gifts are for the body. We can't express those if we are not gathering with the body. How do we pay tithes or give offerings or support missionaries and create a network that that can happen through? How do we have koinonia, which is spiritual fellowship? We, we can't. Again, I, I know that I'm the crowd that I'm giving that to. That's the mentality. That's the thinking that you have. But so many people that we are surrounded with People that you never would have thought a Christian, ever. They consider themselves to be a follower of Christ. They don't go to church. They don't fellowship with the body. They don't deny themselves of sinful appetites, but they consider themselves to be a Christian. What are they doing? They are offering vegetables to a God who says, there must be a blood sacrifice to appease me. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to stand before God and say, but Lord, I believed in who you were. God, I knew how Christmas and Easter, I always took my kids to church. And God is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. We are in a day, and it's only going to get worse, where everybody's self-styling their path to God. And you will receive flack when you start confronting people 
on that. Judge not lest you be judged. Well, first of all, I'm not getting off on that discussion tonight. That's It's the most stupid, flagrant misinterpretation of Scripture. <sighs> Calm down, Bill. Okay. So in these early events, God set down a law that to cover sin, death had to happen. The shedding of blood had to take place. Loss of life had to take place. There either had to be the death of a sinner or a substitute for the sinner. God laid that down in the Garden of Eden. In Hebrews 9.22, we're told without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The Bible says that unless a kernel of wheat dies, it cannot bring life. That's us. We have to die to self, to our own method of living, to our own private mentality of this is my path to God and you have your truth and I have my truth. You do you, I'll do me. That's, that's exactly what Cain took before the Lord. And there are people who will swear up and down that they are Christians. But when you look at their life, See, it's not what's coming out of their mouth. The Lord said you will know them by their fruits. What comes out of their lives, how they live, how they walk, talk, think, act, behave, how they handle the relationships, how they handle their obligations. He said you'll be able to tell them. And we got a lot of politicians that are out there saying, oh, I'm a good this, I'm a good that, and oh, yes, we pray. No, the, the term Christianity, if they really knew what it was, they wouldn't even want it because it was actually an epithet. It was an insult when it was first employed. It wasn't created by believers. It was created by the pagan society around them. They said, you're a Christian, which means little Christ. You act just like him and I can't stand you. And after a while, the believers said, I can accept that. I can accept that because he said, follow me, be like me, walk in me, live in me. In him we live and move and have our, have our being. That's where that term came from. It was an insult. It wasn't a, it wasn't a political maneuver to be, to be well liked. It was then, if you were a Christian, it was a death sentence. So from Adam and Cain on, God points forward to the cross because God had made it clear that the Savior who had been promised would come and die and suffer. Isaiah brings this out beautifully in, in chapter 53 um, about the fact that the Messiah had to suffer, had to die, had to shed his blood. Um, Every animal sacrifice that you read in the Old Testament was a prophetic event pointing forward. It was a type, it was a symbol, it was a proclamation. This is going to happen for real one day. We're killing animals right now, but if they read Isaiah's writings, they would understand at some point, Messiah is going to be killed. 
And Messiah could not simply be a human being because as you read through that chapter, it says he was bruised for our iniquities. The Lord laid our transgressions, our sins upon him. How can a human being do that? None of us are righteous. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So how could there be a human that could make the atoning sacrifice and then see his descendants speaking of the resurrection? Isaiah was telling them the God-man is coming. The sacrifice was human. The blood was human, but it was God Almighty clothed in that flesh who paid for our sins. The gospel is being so watered down, it is, it is unrecognizable what is being preached in many pulpits today. And I want to encourage you guys, people around you who consider themselves to be Christians need to hear the truth. They need to hear what is in here. They don't need to hear your best life now. They don't need to hear 12 ways to be a better businessman. They don't need life lessons. They need the truth. Because the Bible says the truth will make you free. Free of what? The death sentence. It opens the bar. You and I have the opportunity. Remember John? He came as a voice in the wilderness in the spirit of Elijah, preparing the way for the first coming of Jesus Christ. You and I live in the last generation. We come in the spirit of Elijah. We come in the spirit of John the Baptist. And we are announcing the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if you look at him and how stark of a contrast there was between his character and his lifestyle and the ones that were in the world, even those who were religious, those who were Jews, those who were priests, there was a stark contrast. And you and I have the responsibility of standing out. You ever been in a pitch black room? And you could see just a little pinprick. No matter where you go in that room, you can see that light because light overpowers darkness. That's you and I. And God has scattered us in the darkness. And we need to help people to realize there is one way, there is one truth, and there is one life. And it doesn't matter what your pastor tells you. If it's not in these pages, do not believe it vote with your feet brush this the dust off of your shoes go down the street and find somebody who will preach the truth but find somebody and gather with the body of christ and be an influencer every animal sacrifice um, pointed to to the lord jesus and in john 129 john is there baptizing people the baptism of repentance and he looks up and he sees his cousin, Jesus, 
Verse 29 of John 1. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It goes on there talking about the fact that Jesus has been around before John. That screamed Isaiah chapter 53. I mean, bells should have been going off in people's minds. They should have said, oh my goodness, that's Messiah. But they didn't get it because they were busy creating their own path to God with all the rules and the regulations and the ceremonies and the rituals. They had the system down. They were so good at doing all of their own path stuff they not only did not recognize the one that God sent, but they ended up murdering the only way, the only truth, and the only life. I imagine those guys are pretty miserable today. As they burn in the flames, recanting, all of the things that they said against the Lord. Remembering all the things that they memorized in their bar mitzvah. They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible by the time they were 12 to be bar mitzvahed. But they, they made it into fairy tales and parables and allegory instead of understanding God says what he means and he means what he says. And they so fell in love with their own path that when God, the God of the universe, clothed himself with flesh and stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, they had no clue. So not only does it not get you there, it blinds you. And that is what is happening to our generation. That's how people can come into church. Now, I want people who are ranked sinners to come into the church. But I don't want them to walk out ranked sinners. I want them to hear truth and repent before the Lord and make it right. But people who can come week after week who are living in open sin and refuse to believe that God says what he means and he means what he says, that's deception. Let me close with this. Cain and Abel represent the attitudes of two different kinds of people alive today. One group sees no need for a savior. They're, they're good. I'm a good person. They feel sufficient in their own goodness. And so they bring God their vegetables. This is good enough. I know. I understand. I judge this vegetable offering. This is, this is good enough. Then you have the other group who recognize that their sinfulness is a stench before the eyes of God and that they have to find a way to be freed from it. They accept the sacrifice that God has provided for their sin and they trust in him and they're saved. Let's help people to understand there's only one Christianity. There's only one Jesus. There's only one way to heaven. Sometimes it will be uncomfortable to have very straight, very blunt conversations with people. 
I stood almost nose to nose with a guy several months ago. And he was making all these excuses and telling me this is why God would accept him. And I literally got right here, five inches from his face. And I started quoting scripture to him, quoting scripture to him, quoting scripture to him. I said, here you are telling me you're wanting to go into ministry. And if you die today, you're going to be in hell. And your blood is not going to be on my hands because I'm telling you the truth. And that person just walked away happy that they have their path to their Jesus. We all know people like that. Let's do what we can to try by the power of the Holy Spirit to awaken them. Because guys, we are getting so close, so close to the catching away of the bride and the tribulation period. Let's pray. Father, we ask you tonight to give us divine appointments. There are people in our lives or there are people that we come across, Lord, who believe themselves to be in relationship with you. Lord, we all sin. We're all sinners. If that wasn't true, then why did you die? Why were you crucified? We're not saying we're any better than them. But Lord, we've accepted what you've done for us and we are striving hard to pursue you and to live for you. Please help us to awaken other people from this deception before it's too late and they're left behind, Lord God, to face a world that... to face a world, Lord God, that it's going to burn down. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin in Genesis chapter 4 tonight. Let me give you just a prelude to that, and then we'll read the first seven verses. We were talking about last week the, the human tragedy. We're talking about the chess game that was going on between uh, Lucifer and God. Uh, actually, Lucifer becoming Satan and then between Satan and God and trying to, to disrupt the plan of, of redemption for mankind. We talked about how that had taken place in various ages um, as time has gone by from leading Adam and Eve astray all the way through trying to kill potential messiahs and all those things. And when we come to Genesis 4, we realize some of the deep impact of the behaviors that had taken place. We talked about the fact last week that, you know, God will forgive sin. God, when we repent, he is very willing. The Bible says if we confess our sins to him, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What was unleashed there was the contagion of sin that became part and parcel of the human nature. Not only did we recognize what sin was, Adam and Eve suddenly realized they were, they were not clothed, all these kinds of things, but something entered them when they died spiritually. Instead of having the, the natural righteousness and the holiness of God, they had the sin nature. And when their kids were born, they were born with a sin nature. Adam and Eve had tried to cover 
their own nakedness. When they realized that they were that they were naked, they went, they got fig leaves, and they began to put those together to try to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame, to hide what had happened from the omniscient God. And obviously, um, it was a very futile effort and something that was very foolish because immediately right off the bat the first sin that came into the world man began to try to create his own path to redemption trying to mend the relationship with god with whatever he could think of to cover up what they perceived as sin at that time well one of the lessons that we've learned from this is that um, our children learn our ways whether we intend for them to or not because the first thing that happens Cain and Abel, they grow up. Cain is the older brother. He grows up, uh, Cain grows up to be a person who works the gardens and the fruit trees and all these kinds of things. And then you have Abel, who is a herdsman. So they come to a place where they offer up sacrifices. And we see that Cain had taken on this sinful behavior because he tries to create his own path to the Lord. Now, the Lord had illustrated very clearly that blood had to be shed, either the blood of the sinner or a, a sacrifice in behalf of the sinner. Blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. And yet we see Cain, when he comes before the Lord later on, he brings an offering of fruits and vegetables and the produce from his garden. And they knew, God had given them the illustration. The Bible says God went out he killed an animal, he skinned it, and he clothed them with that and showed them that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. But here you have Cain, who has a very twisted uh, personality, a very um, evasive personality, because when he gets caught, he begins to make excuses to God uh, when, when, he, when he commits the sin of not bringing the proper sacrifice and then when he commits the sin of murdering his brother, you see excuses coming out of where he's pointing the blame everywhere else that because his self-made religion, his self-styled path to God was not acceptable. We find ourselves in a time right now where everybody is trying to create their own self-styled relationship. Well, my Jesus is not like that. My Jesus, you know, everybody has their own path, their ways. Well, there's many ways to God. If you're a Muslim, if you're a Krishna, if you're a Hindu, you're a Buddhist, you know, it's all the same. Don't worry about it. They're all paths to God. We hear these things coming out of uh, the pastor's mouths of mega churches today. Um, and people are following this very sinful, very destructive pattern started with Adam and Eve, then went to Cain, and then came on down to us. This is uh, the, the slaying of the animal by God was a foreshadowing. It was a type of what was going to happen 4,000 years later when he sent his son, the Lamb of God, and he was slain. He shed his blood for the remission of sin. So let's open up in Genesis 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, Eve became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented 
some of its crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. Look at verse 5. But he did not accept Cain, and he did not accept Cain's gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Let's pause right there before we read the rest of that. Here is something about the, the sin nature that we all deal with. And here is something that is very prevalent in our day. I can't be guilty. I'm not evil. I'm good. There is a mistake. Somebody else caused uh, me to be thought about in this light. This is not, you know, this is not my fault. When God himself addresses Cain and says, your offering is not acceptable and your approach to come to have a relationship with me is not acceptable. Cain was taking very lightly the offense of what sin is to God. He grossly underestimated the difference between sinful man and God. He completely misunderstood the holiness of God and was graciously not slain in that very moment as God was having that conversation. Look at verse six. God says, why are you angry? So God has justly disciplined him. God has justly rebuked him. He's called him on the carpet because Cain knew that he was supposed to bring a blood sacrifice, okay? And instead of saying, oh Lord, I'm sorry, I." You know, I didn't want to do it or it took much time or whatever the issue was, he should have repented there. But instead, he's excusing himself to God and he becomes angry at his maker, at his creator. And he said to him, why do you look so dejected? So skip forward to the New Testament where the Bible tells us that God disciplines all those that he loves all those that he considers to be his children. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, if we are not disciplined, if we are not corrected, then we are illegitimate children. We are not really the children of God. And so there, there was a, a, the cause for his ire, his anger to be raised against the very one that he was trying to appease with his offering. There was a reluctance to accept his own sinfulness. There was a reluctance to accept the way that God said, you must come to me. We find the same thing here in the 21st century. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to me except, uh, no man comes to the Father except through me. We have every kind of religion, including Christianity, who are trying to do the very same thing that Cain did. There's many ways. I, this is my personality. This is the way I express myself. Just to, This is just the way I was born. And so I bring this to God, and God says, no, the gate is narrow. The road, the path is very narrow. You must walk that path. And so here you have man trying to argue with God about redemption. He gets angry with God because he thinks God is being unjust and yet it is man that has sinned against God. God is the standard. God is the one to whom we need to give an account, not the other way around. 
He says in verse 7, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So here we have a guy who is trying to fool God into acquiescing to man's idea of how to atone for sin. We have a lot of people in, in churches around the world who live grossly immoral lives. Uh, approximately, I think it's 45% of people in mainline denominational churches are just shacking up. They're not married. And yet they come and they worship and they tithe and they pray and they sing and they raise their hands. What are they doing? They are offering their vegetables to God. I will give you the acknowledgement of who you are, but I am going to live my life. I'm going to have the style of living that I desire, and you will accept me because my Jesus would not send anyone to hell. So you see this, this attitude has become pervasive, even to the point now where you're having uh, openly uh, practicing homosexuals who are being ordained into ministry and are pastoring churches. This is becoming so passe that people are not even seemingly fighting against this in the broader scope. We just had uh, the Methodist uh, denomination, the largest denomination on planet Earth, split down the middle because half of them said, we approve of gay and lesbian relationships and marriage and we are going to put our blessing on that and we're going to ordain that and just last month the big rift the big split came where half the church said no that's that's not bible we can't deal with it and they said fine we'll we're just going to rip down the middle and so you have people coming up with all kinds of ideas remember we talked about chrislam that some pastors are pushing saying we serve the same god it's just a little bit different path no the Bible says, he who denies the Son has neither the Son nor the Father. In the Quran, it says, God has no Son, and he who says so is a blasphemer. Now, we've got pastors who are telling people that we're one and the same. It's just an approach. We've got Cain in the pulpit teaching the people how to rebel against the Spirit of God. That is the moment in which we find ourselves. So both Cain and Abel, they understood what God required. God would not have judged him. God would not have rebuked him if he had no idea how he was supposed to come to, to the Lord. He did. The whole family knew. They knew about Adam and Eve's sin. They knew about Lucifer. They knew about the serpent. They knew about the, the shedding of the blood. God had taught them Abel knew what he was supposed to do, and he came. He made the sacrifice of the first fruit, which is a, a type, a symbol of tithe, that he took the best, he took the first, and he gave that to the Lord before he enjoyed of the fruit of his own labor. God is our Redeemer. Salvation and damnation are in his hands according to his rules. We as mankind have tried to redefine and are continuing to try 
to redefine that and tell the Lord, I will come on my rules. We have gotten to a place in our society where everything that you want, you can have it when you want, how you want, what you want it like, our commercials tell you, you self-style this thing, options that you want, you don't want, all these things, it's custom designed that you get exactly what you want. And a lot of people go to God and they try to impose that on Him. They project their image uh, of a God that is created in their image and they say, that, that's, that's the God that I serve. Well, you serve an idol and you're going to hell. The Lord is the only one who can say, this is how you get into heaven, and this is who gets into heaven. It's under his authority. We don't get to make the rules. We don't get to rearrange um, the priorities of what God has had. This is something that we're fighting with the younger generation. You and I in this room, we grew up with this thinking, and it makes perfect sense to us, but a generation that have been indoctrinated, that have been brainwashed with all of the craziness that is out there are now being told you can live however you want, you can do whatever you want. All you have to do is believe that the big guy is up there and you're good to go. Everybody self-styles the way that they want. I like this option, but I don't like that. I don't like that Old Testament God. He's kind of scary, but this Jesus who's just love, I'll, I'll take that. And they make excuses. The Bible says that in the last days, deception is going to be the key sign that I'm about to come back. And boy, are we sure seeing that today. Um, let's talk about a little bit more about the self-styled religion because this is something we need to help the younger generation with. I, I have talked a number of times with different people who call themselves Christians who are shacking up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend and they are wanting to get, actually get involved in ministry and I said you are living in adultery you are living in fornication you are on your way to hell well I just don't receive that because I love the Lord and I know that he loves me and we you know we no you are creating your own God in your own mind and this person is asking me how do I get involved in the ministry how do I get trained you're on your way to hell. Don't talk to me about anything until you fall on your knees and you repent. And you repent to the person that you have given this understanding of Christianity to because you're damning their soul to hell as well. But this is very common thinking. And when you talk about fornication, you talk about adultery, people just, it's like a, a, a mule staring at a new gate. They don't get it. You know, we love each other. We're, we're married in the eyes of God. No, you're not. My sentiments exactly. <laughs> um, Cain tried to make his own path. We've got all kinds of people all around us who are trying to make their own path. Well, I'm a good person. Really, Jesus said that we're evil. He said, you being evil know how to get good, good gifts out of your children. How much more shall the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, we are trying to redefine. We are trying to, you know, even when we go to the mirror, we don't really want to see what's there. We have those mirrors that make you look slimmer, that make you look taller, you know, all those things. We can, we can Photoshop our image that we put on the Internet, and people walk in for the interview, they're like, where's the guy on the Internet? Uh, <laughs> that's me, you know. Oh, okay. 
we try to do that in our minds that I'm right with God, I'm pure, I'm holy, I'm good. But human beings are basically good. No, the Bible says we are evil to the core. There is nothing good inside of us that is in our sinful nature. The only thing good that resides in us is Jesus Christ. When we fall at his knees and we ask him to come in, that's the only goodness that is there. And we get into heaven because God, when he looks at a, a born-again believer, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He's not looking at us who are making a God in our own image. So since, since um, Cain, much, much of mankind has tried to create, create their own paths. You know, you watch... You see people like Oprah. You see people like the Hillsong pastors and all these other um, elevation worship, uh, Bethel. They're all projecting and a God that is not the God of the Bible. And people who do not read their Bibles are sucking it in. They're drinking it. They're swallowing it. Hook, line, and singer. Pastor said it. That's the way it has to be. The Bible says that people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And he's talking about a lack of biblical knowledge. If we don't read this, if we don't study this, we don't know the path. We don't know the character of whom we are serving. We do not know the attributes that are there unless we are studying the word of God and asking him for wisdom and revelation. So we have this whole thing now of my Jesus, but there is no my Jesus. It's the Jesus of the Bible, and we cannot reshape, remold, or refashion him to be what we want him to be, because the closer you get to the Lord, let me tell you, the rub is going to get worse and worse, because it's like you're walking toward a, a lighthouse, you know, and you know that, that light that shines for miles and miles and miles, and the closer you get to it, the more blinding, the more overpowering it is. That is how it is with us when we grow closer to the Lord. We start seeing things that we not we did used to didn't think anything about. Now they seem like a, a huge issue to us. Why? Because we're standing in the light of God's holiness. And as you grow in the Lord, you mature in the Lord, that is what happens. You become more and more aware of your sinful nature and the sin that is prevalent across uh, humanity. And we, we cry out, God, help me to be more holy. Take this out of me. Get rid of this. Whereas the common uh, response is that we reshape God. We put a lens on him. I think God is purple, so we flip up the purple lens. I think God is this, so we change the shape. You see what I'm saying? That's our culture, and that's the culture of the world today. Um, one modern example that is very easy to give is, is people who call themselves Christians and followers of Christ, but they don't go to church. There's a lot of people that I've talked to, well, I serve God in my own way. You know, I just don't believe in organized religion. Well, I'm sorry, but you haven't read the Bible. They want God to love them and accept them on their rules, their basis, their understanding of what a relationship with God should be like. 
Um, my Bible tells me that literally, and I think it's Second Peter, live as God's slaves. That are the exact words. Live as God's slaves. Paul said, I die daily. I beat my flesh into subjection. So there's, there's two different Christianities. There's two different Christs that are out there. And the broad road says, my Jesus is like this, this, and this. The narrow road says, the Jesus is between these two pages and we cannot change him. And so you have a lot of people who say, you know, I worship God by myself. I worship him in my own way. I really don't need a formal church to do that. And I have to say to people, your church attendance is not about you. If that is your worldview, that I serve Christ in my own way, you don't know Christ because your church attendance is not about you. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our day off. It's not about our fishing trip. It's not about our hunting trip, any of those things. Now, there's nothing wrong with going out and using a weekend to do that once in a while. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about people that I run into who just don't, they're not a part of any church. They just don't go. They say, I worship God. You know, I've watched something on the internet. Well, that is an extremely selfish view of the world. Remember Hebrews 10 verses 23 to 25, it said, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is nearing. If, if we live our Christian lives independently of the church whom Jesus said is the bride of Christ, who Jesus said is the body of Christ, if we are that kind of person who says, I don't need a church to live out my Christian faith, then how do you follow scriptural admonitions like build one another up? If you're not with other Christians, how can you build them up? If you're not with other Christians, how can you admonish them? Straighten up, move forward, keep, you'll get that out of your life. How can you correct somebody who's drifting away? The Bible says if someone is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual restore such a one watching yourself because you're also susceptible to that same stuff. If we're not living with the body of Christ, if we're not attending church, we're not building relationships, how do we know if someone is slipping? If we're not in relationship with them, and it's not out of judgment at all. It is out of a desperate heart to rescue them before they go down that road too far. How do we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another if we're not meeting together? How, how do we mentor other believers if we're not meeting with other believers? How do we express our spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are not for us. Spiritual gifts are for the body. We can't express those if we are not gathering with the body. How do we pay tithes or give offerings or support missionaries and create a network that that can happen through? How do we have koinonia, which is spiritual fellowship? We, we can't. Again, I, I know that I'm the crowd that I'm giving that to. That's the mentality. That's the thinking that you have. 
but so many people that we are surrounded with. People that you never would have thought a Christian, ever. They consider themselves to be a follower of Christ. They don't go to church. They don't fellowship with the body. They don't deny themselves of sinful appetites, but they consider themselves to be a Christian. What are they doing? They are offering vegetables to a God who says, there must be a blood sacrifice to appease me. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to stand before God and say, but Lord, I believed in who you were. God, I knew on Christmas and Easter, I always took my kids to church. And God is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. We are in a day, and it's only going to get worse, where everybody's self-styling their path to God. And you will receive flack when you start confronting people on that. Judge not lest you be judged. Well, first of all, I'm not getting off on that discussion tonight. That's it's the most stupid, flagrant misinterpretation of Scripture. <sighs> Calm down, Dora. Okay. So in these early events, God set down a law that to cover sin, death had to happen. The shedding of blood had to take place. Loss of life had to take place. There either had to be the death of a sinner or a substitute for the sinner. God laid that down in the Garden of Eden. In Hebrews 9.22, we're told without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The Bible says that unless a kernel of wheat dies, it cannot bring life. That's us. We have to die to self, to our own method of living, to our own private mentality of this is my path to God and you have your truth and I have my truth. You do you, I'll do me. That's, that's exactly what Cain took before the Lord. And there are people who will swear up and down that they are Christians. But when you look at their life, See, it's not what's coming out of their mouth. The Lord said, you will know them by their fruits. What comes out of their lives, how they live, how they walk, talk, think, act, behave. How they handle their relationships, how they handle their obligations. He said, you'll be able to tell them. And we got a lot of politicians that are out there saying, oh, I'm a good this, I'm a good that. And oh, yes, we pray. No, the, the term Christianity, if they really knew what it was, they wouldn't even want it because it was actually an epithet. It was an insult when it was first employed. It wasn't created by believers. It was created by the pagan society around them. They said, you're a Christian, which means little Christ. You act just like him, and I can't stand you. And after a while, the believers said, I can accept that. I can accept that because he said, follow me, be like me, walk in me, live in me. In him we live and move and have our, breathe, have our being. That's where that term came from. It was an insult. 
It wasn't a it wasn't a political maneuver to be to be well liked. It was then if you were a Christian, it was a death sentence. So from Adam and Cain on, God points forward to the cross because God had made it clear that the Savior who had been promised would come and die and suffer. Isaiah brings this out beautifully in, in chapter 53 um, about the fact that the Messiah had to suffer, had to die, had to shed his blood. Um, every animal sacrifice that you read in the Old Testament was a prophetic event pointing forward. It was a type, it was a symbol, it was a proclamation. This is going to happen for real one day. We're killing animals right now. But if they read Isaiah's writings, they would understand at some point, Messiah is going to be killed. And Messiah could not simply be a human being. Because as you read through that chapter, it says he was bruised for our iniquities. The Lord laid our transgressions, our sins upon him. How can a human being do that? None of us are righteous. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So how could there be a human that could make the atoning sacrifice and then see his descendants Speaking of the resurrection. Isaiah was telling them the God man is coming. The sacrifice was human. The blood was human. But it was God Almighty clothed in that flesh who paid for our sins. The gospel is being so watered down. It is it is unrecognizable what is being preached in many pulpits today. And I want to encourage you guys, people around you who consider themselves to be Christians need to hear the truth. They need to hear what is in here. They don't need to hear your best life now. They don't need to hear 12 ways to be a better businessman. They don't need life lessons. They need the truth. Because the Bible says the truth will make you free. Free of what? The death sentence. It opens the bar. You and I have the opportunity. Remember John? He came as a voice in the wilderness in the spirit of Elijah preparing the way for the first coming of Jesus Christ. You and I live in the last generation. We come in the spirit of Elijah. We come in the spirit of John the Baptist. And we are announcing the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if you look at him and how stark of a contrast there was between his character and his lifestyle. And the ones that were in the world. Even those who were religious. Those who were Jews. Those who were priests. There was a stark contrast. And you and I have the responsibility of standing out. You ever been in a pitch black 
room and you could see just a little pinprick, no matter where you go in that room, you can see that light because light overpowers darkness. That's you and I. And God has scattered us in the darkness. And we need to help people to realize there is one way, there is one truth, and there is one life. And it doesn't matter what your pastor tells you. If it's not in these pages, do not believe it. Vote with your feet. Brush the, the dust off of your shoes. Go down the street and find somebody who will preach the truth. But find somebody and gather with the body of Christ and be an influencer. Every animal sacrifice um, pointed to, to the Lord Jesus. And in John 1.29, John is there baptizing people, the baptism of repentance. And he looks up and he sees his cousin, Jesus. Verse 29 of John 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It goes on there talking about the fact that Jesus has been around before John. That screamed Isaiah chapter 53. I mean, bells should have been going off in people's minds. They should have said, oh my goodness, that's Messiah. But they didn't get it because they were busy creating their own path to God with all the rules and the regulations and the ceremonies and the rituals. They had the system down. They were so good at doing all of their own path stuff. They not only did not recognize the one that God sent, but they ended up murdering the only way, the only truth, and the only life. I imagine those guys are pretty miserable today. As they burn in the flames, recanting all of the things that they said against the Lord, remembering all the things that they memorized in their bar mitzvah. They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible by the time they were 12 to be bar mitzvahed. But they, they made it into fairy tales and parables and allegory instead of understanding God says what he means and he means what he says. And they so fell in love with their own path that when God, the God of the universe, clothed himself with flesh and stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, they had no clue. So not only does it not get you there, it blinds you. And that is what is happening to our generation. That's how people can come into church. Now, I want people who are ranked sinners to come into the church. But I don't want them to walk out ranked sinners. I want them to hear truth and repent before the Lord and make it right. But people who can come week after week, who are living in open sin and refuse to believe that God says what he means and he means what he says, that's deception. Let me close with this. 
Cain and Abel represent the attitudes of two different kinds of people alive today. One group sees no need for a savior. They're, they're good. I'm a good person. They feel sufficient in their own goodness. And so they bring God their vegetables. This is good enough. I know. I understand. I judge this vegetable offering. This is, this is good enough. Then you have the other group who recognize that their sinfulness is a stench before the eyes of God and that they have to find a way to be freed from it. They accept the sacrifice that God has provided for their sin and they trust in him and they're saved. Let's help people to understand there's only one Christianity. There's only one Jesus. There's only one way to heaven. Sometimes it will be uncomfortable to have very straight, very blunt conversations with people. I stood almost nose to nose with a guy several months ago. And he was making all these excuses and telling me this is why God would accept him. And I literally got right here, five inches from his face. And I started quoting scripture to him, quoting scripture to him, quoting scripture to him. I said, here you are telling me you're wanting to go into ministry. And if you die today, you're going to be in hell. And your blood is not going to be on my hands because I'm telling you the truth. And that person just walked away happy that they have their path to their Jesus. We all know people like that. Let's do what we can to try by the power of the Holy Spirit to awaken them. Because guys, we are getting so close, so close to the catching away of the bride and the tribulation period. Let's pray. Father, we ask you tonight to give us divine appointments. There are people in our lives or there are people that we come across, Lord, who believe themselves to be in relationship with you. Lord, we all sin. We're all sinners. If that wasn't true, then why did you die? Why were you crucified? We're not saying we're any better than them. But Lord, we've accepted what you've done for us and we are striving hard to pursue you and to live for you. Please help us to awaken other people from this deception before it's too late and they're left behind, Lord God, to face a world that... to face a world, Lord God, that it's going to burn down. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.